Rowan. What do you like about communion? I like being with my teachers and family. What does the pastor say when you eat the bread? Communion. Mm -hmm. What do they say? Body of? Body of blood. Body of Christ? Body of Christ. And what do they say when you drink the wine? Blood. Blood of Christ. I remember things that led up to my first communion. Communion in our church, First Presbyterian Church of Baton Rouge, was a stately event. The elders sat in the front rows. The communion table was stacked high with the trays that held the juice. They were covered with a white cloth, perhaps a linen tablecloth. The two eldest elders, one at each end of the table, removed the cloth, holding it by the middle and I think the back edge, and draped it on the low wall in front of the pews. Then the elders serving communion came up and received the trays of bread. Hello, I'm the Reverend Beth Waltemath, and I will be your host for this episode of the What Feeds You podcast. Today's episode is called Communion and Quarantine. I will be your guide as we explore the experiences of members of the North Decatur Presbyterian Church as they participated in communion in their home alone or with their nuclear family and consider how they remember the body of Christ while isolated from each other. You've already heard from Rowan, a three-year-old, and her mother, Corey, and also from Alice, a retired minister who holds a PhD in biblical studies. Their interviews overlap to show us how the meaning of communion begins before we even get the word straight in our heads and continues long after we care if there are words spoken at all. I was about six or seven when I joined the church and began to receive communion after we were trained in a communicants class. It was somber but interesting. I learned the three omnis about God, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, and other theological stuff. Imagine these first graders seated in the adult-sized chairs in the church parlor being addressed by the senior pastor. There was no coloring. I don't remember preparing my children for communion. Who remember the argument, it's not a snack. I should have been competent at that point to explain it because by then I was in seminary. ...are a feast for the senses, a way to remember with our body, not just our minds, what it means to be alive and to love one another. What follows are the stories of individuals who are age 3 to age 78, who've lived in Georgia all their lives or grew up all around the globe. 
stories from those who were raised with a strict faith or none at all. Listen, as they consider their earliest memories of communion at church, as they think about the importance they place on this sacrament in adulthood, and as they recall their most recent experiences under quarantine. As Father Richard Rohr teaches, we do not think ourselves into a new way of living, but we live ourselves into a new way of thinking. Hi, I'm Gordon, I'm uh, 71 years old and of relatively good health and uh, relatively sound of mind. I was raised by Pentecostal missionaries since I spent most of my childhood outside the country, communion was also something that we took with people from other places. And, and so for me, communion is always an experience around not just who is in the room with me, but the people from around the world who are sharing that same experience in some way or another. This is Les Boyd. My age is 65. I'm a baby boomer, so they say. I first took communion in Decatur Presbyterian Church when I was about seven or eight years old. And what I remember was it was so cool that they passed around these little, little tiny containers of juice and I got to drink the juice. That's my first memory. I remember the smells of the juice. My name is Marie Podgman Schenneberg. I am 44 years old. And I don't remember how old I was when I took communion for the first time. I grew up in the PCUSA and they of course let anyone who would like to receive communion receive communion. All right well I'm Susan and I'm 44. I am um, quarantining with my husband Sam and our son Gus who just turned six. I am a member of North Decatur Presbyterian Church, um, where I'm currently serving as an elder, which is the governing board, sort of the governing board of the church. And my son, who's six, comes with me um, pretty much every time I come. And my husband um, doesn't have the same sort of spiritual gene that I do. So he um, really likes the church and really likes the church community, but is not a joiner of the church. And in fact, thinking on the theme of communion, um, he doesn't ever take communion. Okay. My name is Kent Anderson Leslie. Um, in terms of my faith journey, I grew up in the First Presbyterian Church in the area. And it was a sort of high intellectual church, but not full of questions. In fact, pretty well absent of the function of teaching a kid to question. And so that's where I come from on a very, and I'm 77 years old, 
took. It's been a long journey. At the First Presbyterian Church in Marietta, it's just as I am without one plea, over and over and over and over. Yeah, yeah, we sang that one too. I'm Bob Leslie, and I am an old person. <laughs> I, I'm 78, going on 79. I would say communion signifies a great tradition in our faith of sharing a meal, of fellowship with our fellow people on their journey. It's a wonderful way to communicate. It can center the family having a meal together, or two, or three. Beth, I, I am shocked that I didn't react when somebody said to me, we're going to do this ritual, and we're going to consume Christ's body and Christ's blood. I think it's a real indication of how little we were taught to actually think about what we were doing, because it, it's mm. shocking to me now. In a, in a symbolic, metaphysical sense. And I was a pretty inquisitive kid. And why I didn't look at somebody and say, like, one of my children, you what? <laughs> uh, you, it's taken a whole lifetime to get a grip on what is happening when you do this. It's to, to embody the spirit uh, on a, in a metaphysical way with a community of people. But I'm shocked that I never said to whoever was trying to tell me about this the first time, you want me to what? <laughs> uh, it's, just that, uh, it's just that powerfully remote uh, intellectually, unless you have a context of spirituality. Did Jesus leave, give, give his friends bread and wine so that they would remember him? Yeah. No! Yes, I think they, yes, they, they yes. did. No, no, no. If you were going to give your friend something to eat to remember you, what would you give them? Goldfish. I would give them blueberries and strawberries. Ooh. Uh, Why would yes. you give them blueberries and strawberries? Because they're good for your body. Gus loves communion. Mm. And it's that thing that... Like if he's feeling resistant to going to church, if it's a communion day, that's always like an ace in the hole. Um, <laughs> he, thinks, <laughs> he thinks that you have bread and a dip and the dip is a sweet, juicy dip and he loves it. So it's, um, it's very abundant for him. And it, I think it, it doesn't at all feel like um, something that's being kind of parceled out stingily it feels very um very for the taking in a way that he loves and I sort of theologically love that sense one thing that I really love about my church is um first of all it is you know I think that there's obvious understanding that if it's not your faith or you're not comfortable that you certainly don't have to take it, but there's no, there's nothing you have to say or do or believe. 
I had to explain what communion means to me, to my kid, either of them. I would say, more than anything, for me, it's just a reminder of the wider family that I am a part of. Um, and that this is a place where I want to be and a place where I'm meant to be and that the blessing of the bread and the cup are symbolic of something so much bigger than I could ever fathom. It makes me feel very small and often very humble. I did explain communion to my presbytery. When I went before my presbytery, I was asked to explain the different ideas of Jesus' presence at the communion. This was a gimme question because it had been on an it was had been on my ordination exam. So I went through the transubstantiation, consubstantiation, and the memorial witness. But I also mentioned Calvin's idea, actually my favorite, that the communion, the congregation was lifted up into heaven during the communion as a foretaste of the heavenly banquet, the messianic banquet. When it came time for questions from the people, a man stood up and asked me what Calvin had said when someone asked him how this being lifted up into heaven happened. I had no idea, so instead of babbling around, I just said, I don't know. He said, that's right, and he sat down. The hows and whys of the Christian sacrament of communion have been debated for centuries. Many theologians have approached communion by addressing what it means before considering how it is practiced. Did the bread and wine change substances into body and blood? Or did this meal coexist with Christ so that it is both grain and grape, but also sacred substance? Are the elements purely symbolic of Christ's sacrifice? Did Jesus himself designate this when he told his disciples at a dinner before his death to do this in memory of me? By taking a bite and sharing the cup, do the guests get a foretaste of heaven, a place at the table with all the saints, a reminder that we all belong to each other in one beloved community? So I was thinking that uh, the, the traditional, just a, a little bit of uh, amplification of the traditional view that this is the blood and the body of Christ, meaning uh, that uh, that that Christ suffered 
and we say Christ suffered for us, and and we're sharing these elements to commemorate that sharing, and um, and we're grateful for what the Bible tells us. Uh, to have somebody <laughs> look at look at you, who's who's you love so much, yeah. and say this to you. It reaches so deeply inside of you. Oh, when and you're I have, passing, I yeah. have commented that on that before when you go up and you're doing it by attention and you look into somebody's eyes that you dearly love, but you don't expect them to be communicating with you on this level of spirituality. The, the body of Christ broken for you. Yeah. The, the blood of Christ shed for you. It's the broken and the shed. Those are power, just power. Me and I talked a lot about that because it actually makes me cry to talk about it. It's so powerful. Most Christians couldn't tell you the exact ratio of mundane to sacred in communion. Ours is not a recipe for transcendence, but nonetheless, the real presence of Christ, however you understand that term, is felt in the breaking of bread and the sharing of the common cup. Instead, at some point, we let the ritual take over. The sights, smells, and sounds do their magic or don't. We fall into habits and associations. We look for what is familiar rather than feel what may be surprising. But how we do things can change what we experience and therefore what we fundamentally believe. In April 2020, social distancing measures necessary to prevent the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic changed the communion practices for Christians during Holy Week. Here are some testimonies from members of my church located outside of Atlanta, Georgia who suddenly found themselves breaking bread and drinking of the common cup alone in their homes. Well, to prepare for communion at home, which was just going to be an experience with the two of us, we decided to celebrate since it's Easter. So I popped the cork on a bottle of Prosecco. Uh, we don't get a chance to drink wine during you know, our Protestant communion. And this was our chance to, to share this little joyful moment together. And I had made some homemade bread and instead of a little wafer or a little chunk, Carolyn got a great big hunk of fresh bread. So we had fresh bread and Prosecco. What a wonderful communion, huh? <laughs> um, pretty much we didn't have any grape juice. And I said to Jason, well, we can just use some water. And he was like, no. So we cracked open a bottle of red wine and he thought out a little chunk of his gluten-free bread so that we would all have exactly the same elements. And the kids really freaked out because they were like, wine, wine, we can't have wine. That stuff's bad for kids, we can't do that. And they were really unsettled by it. And we tried to explain, you know, it's, it, look, we are allowing you to have just the teeniest bit you barely have to let the bread touch it. Just come on, just throw your hat in the ring and go with it this one time. Um, and they did. Uh, Tucker definitely 
they were both grossed out completely by the taste of the wine. Um, and Libby actually spat her elements out after she took them, um, hoping she swallowed a little bit so that maybe a teeny weeny bit of <laughs> her soul was blessed somehow. I don't know, it was crazy. Um, I really did not get much out of <laughs> the communion experience at home. I really missed, um, I don't know, being surrounded by my church family and being in that more mm, ethereal kind of frame of mind. Uh, I was not feeling that lifted up and excited squished onto our living room couch, um, especially with protesting kids. It just really, just, I know it's the great mystery of our faith, but it didn't feel like much of a mystery. It just felt like a hassle. For the Maundy Thursday communion at home, I made a table with a placemat and a candle and a bowl of water and a glass with very aged grape juice I found in the fridge and some gluten-free crackers. I only needed one cracker, but it looked pitiful by itself, so I added a couple of others. Even with the video, I felt alone, even though I knew others were doing the same thing I was doing. It was solemn and perhaps not a foretaste of the Messianic banquet. For Easter, I decided not to prepare communion. My solitary experience on Thursday was not a good motivation for Easter communion. Better just to enjoy the vibrations than to incarnate it. I found it powerful to be the person instigating it, to be the person laying the table and pouring the drink and preparing the bread. The intense thing for me, Beth, was us giving it to each other. Yeah. That's something we have never in our entire lives done. Probably. Ever. And so there's an intimacy in your own house and an intimacy with the person you've been traveling with for so 52 years. There's a there's an intense, for me, there was an intense sense of this is something very different. This is, of course, very safe. But it was as though you're looking into the depths of another person to do such a thing all alone in your own house. Uh, in the middle of Easter, which didn't feel like Easter, Being, being in, in isolation, one of the things that we're searching for is variety of experience that breaks the monotony. And certainly from a spiritual point of view, that's what we're looking for too. And this was a completely different spiritual experience of breaking the monotony of quiet prayer, quiet reflection. Prepared bread gluten-free bread, and pomegranate juice, blueberry pomegranate juice. The sights and smells of communion at home were wonderful. The bread was fresh. 
the juice was new and exciting. And a big glass of it, too. And as we took communion at home, we did a toast. It was a beautiful communion. Um, really just one feeling the whole uh, communion of faith, um, metaphorically or in reality or spiritually, it was just kind of a dropped mic moment for me. I was like, wait, do I like communion because, I don't know, am I unable to enjoy communion because I'm not at church? And if so, what does that say about me as a believer? Um, it's kind of jacked up now that I think about it. So... I think that it felt like in my head it is like, but this is just our wine glass and you know, this isn't, this is just me having poured this, yeah. but at the same time, I kind of, I don't know, I respect that boundary of, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, this isn't something he's comfortable with, and I don't want to shoehorn him into it because it happens to be like in a super familiar setting. So, I, and in a way, it made it seem like it kind of upped the sacredness because it still wasn't something he felt comfortable with, even though it was like my old blue glass, wine glasses from Mexico and the white bread that Gus has been having grilled cheese sandwiches on every day. <laughs> but it still felt like something out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of literally embodying um, this, this spirit of God that now I'm going to get too, too airy here, but I've been thinking about this a lot in this current time that like, it is really very revolutionary to say that the most powerful force is not one of dominance. And when you're taking communion you're saying, I'm following this way. That is a way of love and connection and relationship. And So for me, communion is one of the strongest examples of our faith as we all come together to share a meal. And I look forward to many more communions at home, in the church and wherever people gather. Amen. This has been an episode of What Feeds You podcast. I've been your host, Beth Waltemath. I'd like to thank Clint Miller for his organ music. 
the members of North Decatur Presbyterian Church for their powerful story and graciousness of time. Today's music was from the 1849 hymn tune Woodworth, composed by William Bradbury. It is performed by Clint Miller under one license, A-719269. If you've enjoyed this episode and find yourself hungry to know more answers to the question, what feeds you? Subscribe to our podcast through our website, whatfeedsyou.com, or through your favorite podcast provider. Dig in.